Hi, and welcome to the Unconventionalist Podcast. My name is Mark Roost, and I know how it feels to feel stuck in a job that isn't in any shape, way, or form expressing who we really are, and that can feel really frustrating. And, and most of the time, we're a little bit afraid of, of speaking about it, especially when we can't talk about it to our colleagues, because that would be a little bit weird. It's definitely not to our bosses, because we make up that that would go down like a shitstorm. And it's really difficult to try and figure out what it is we actually want to do. And it's really easy to figure out what we don't want to do. And I know that because I was at that point and there was a time and point in my life where I felt really shitty about myself. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was really lost and confused. And through a series of, of, of events, experiences and breakthroughs, I ended up finding my dream job, going and joining the Movember Foundation, being country manager for four years, raising 2.8 million euros and impacting 40,000 people. And it's been this incredible journey, and, I, and I've shared this journey, um, especially the early stage part of this journey, in a book I wrote called It's Not You, It's Me. And the book was published, and it's on Amazon, and you can buy it on Amazon. And I've made it free for you. I want you to get a copy of this book because I truly believe that this book is going to have a, an impact on your life. If anything, it will show you that you're not alone in thinking uh, what you're thinking or the feelings that you're going through. And I've made this book available for you at marklerus.com. You can go there and download it. And otherwise, if you want to buy it, be my guest, you can buy it on Amazon. The other resource I've made for you is a lot of people I've been in contact with, whether it's through my group coaching, my facilitation, my one-to-one -one coaching, or listeners to this podcast, or watch views on my YouTube channel, is that we've got this big crave for like having a bigger impact. And we want to make a big difference, but most of us are just struggling a little bit with figuring out what that message actually is that we want to put out into the world. So I actually did a 20-minute a, a audio training program that you can download over at www.markcruise.com forward slash start. And I've been told that it's been really helpful, that it's helped people clarify their message. It's, it's helped them figure out what kind of talk they want to give at an event that they're going. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. So go over and download it. Let me know if it's helpful. And hopefully it is. As you know, um, I am super grateful for you and for listening to this podcast week in and week out. We've hit 11,277 downloads. We're on a 49th episode today, which feels totally surreal. And if you've been a regular, then you know that one of my favorite parts of this program is to share with you the top 10 leaderboards. That's the top 10 countries around the world listening to this podcast, and you guys are having a huge influence in shifting these numbers. So if you want to see your country rise up the ranks, make sure to share it with your friends. Uh, ask your friends to listen, to download, to subscribe, and we're going to get your country up there. Now, number one, United Kingdom, UK, holding strong the fort of first position. Quickly followed by United States, Antigua and Barbuda. don't even know if I'm pronouncing that well. That's pretty insane. Number four, Canada. Five, Estonia. Sixth, Croatia. Seventh, Ireland. Eighth, Spain. Nine, Malaysia. Tenth, Australia. Now, as always, the runner-ups, Italy, Taiwan, and Kuwait. You guys are right behind in the mix. So hang in there, share that podcast, and we're going to get you up those leaderboards by next week. I just released a um, video on YouTube. And, and you know, if you've been listening to my journey, then you'll know that one of my goals that I set in January was to get a thousand subscribers on YouTube. I was a new YouTuber, a new video vlogger, and I, I started releasing a, a weekly video in January, and I've done so every single week, week in and week out. And I've grown to 955 subscribers. So if you listen to this, you can get me over the line. That's amazing. But the truth is, I realized that I was chasing subscribers for all the wrong reasons. I was pushing the, the, the agenda of getting a thousand for the sake of getting a thousand, as opposed to actually concentrating on giving real value that just made people want to tune in week in and week out. And so I did a video about this. It's called, We Need to Talk About Ego. It's, it's quite a, I guess, a vulnerable video to do really, because it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about openly, that I think many of us uh, content creators and people who put ourselves out there who are generating, um, I guess, a message uh, or, or what have you, it's a little bit weird and uncomfortable to actually open up and say, look, I've been chasing likes and I get an adrenaline rush from getting a reshare or whatever it is. And my self-esteem goes higher when I know that this podcast has been downloaded more times than regularly. So this conversation needs to happen. And I really invite you to go on YouTube and check it out and, and write your comment below and let me know what you get out of it. I've got some cool updates to share with you. Before I do that, I wanted to share a really meaningful uh, event that's come to an end, um, which is for the last 12 weeks, I've had the 
privilege and the honor to co-lead a group of 35 amazing individuals with my co-leader, Sophie Miller, who's an amazing, amazing leader and facilitator and coach. And we got them through a journey over 12 weeks to navigate basically through the tricky waters of what it means to build a 21st century career portfolio. And the way that these individuals from 25 to, to 45 went on, it was just, I, I mean, it's, it just makes me emotional even just talking about it. It was just incredible. And we did the graduation ceremony on Tuesday. It was beautiful. And this tribe, this name of the Purple Emperors, you might, you might have heard me mention Purple Emperors before. And I know that some of them are listening. I know for sure that Victoria, you're listening. So big shout out to you. And remember, you're amazing. You've so got this and you're ready to take the world by storm. So, so go, go and tweet, go and do all the things that you've learned. Uh, love to see you online. And to all the other Purple Emperors, I love you. I miss you. And, and don't be a stranger. Get in touch. The big news is that I'm going to be working, starting work with General Assembly as well. And I'll be teaching my first workshop, an evening workshop in January 2017 on how to launch your first podcast. I know, right? It's, it's this amazing opportunity that came my way. Um, they haven't had anyone that's really been doing this in the UK. And so I'm coming on board and I'm going to be developing that program for them and teaching it. So if you want to come and learn how I managed to build this podcast, got it over 10,000 downloads, managed to do 50 episodes, how I managed to interview, for example, the only Lib Dem MP voting in London, to Alistair Humphreys, a National Geographic Explorer of the Year, to uh, Sean uh, Emery, who's a um, all-star linebacker. So it's like, if you want to learn how I do this, if you want to see the behind the scenes, you go and check out General Assembly and you get yourself a ticket. I'm pretty sure that we're going to sell out, hopefully, or it's going to be awkward if it's only me and one other person. So don't, don't let me be that guy with one student that'd be a bit sad so hopefully i'll see you there um i'm also really excited there's lots of really cool projects i can't really talk about them right now but there are lots of little cool projects in the pipeline that i'm very very excited to be able to share with you and what i'm learning from this journey really since i've, I've quit november uh, end of april early may is that you've just got to keep believing and i know it sounds so cheesy and maybe it's because it is but I had some really rough patches, right? So like this summer was really tough. It was really difficult. And um, I kept on questioning everything. What have I done? Why have I, why did I give up basically a steady steady job with a, with a paycheck, having an impact to go off and do my own thing? And the truth is, is what I'm realizing is I'm speaking to lots of amazing different people. And while I'm building this this thing, you know, I don't really want to call it, I guess, this 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 kind of community, this tribe of the unconventionalists. I'm also really excited to get to help other organizations grow and deliver on their promise, with it, whether that's with their customers or their own internal teams. And so getting to work with all these exciting organizations and speaking with exciting organizations and to see what's ahead is, it's really cool. It's really promising. And you know, it takes time. And, and I know that now. Um, it's difficult not to compare myself. For example, I've got a friend who I met up recently and he made $1.2 million with his team and his business in a year of launching. And that obviously feels a little bit like, oh, wow, like if I make a few thousand pounds within this year, I'll consider that amazing. <laughs> so that's just something to keep on your radar. I'll, I'll announce you. And today's guest is an amazing guest. She is such an unconventionalist. It's not even funny. Her name it's Kathy Salit. And if you've probably heard of high school, you know, university dropouts, maybe even high school dropouts, I can guarantee you that you've probably never heard of a junior high school dropout who at 13 years old started her own school in a squat, in a front shop in New York and managed to convince not only other students to join her, but faculty to come and teach. And it's just this incredible story of how Kathy went from being that little girl starting her own school to continuously challenging the status quo and actually bringing performance into the leadership space. She's, the, she's a performer. She's a co-founder of Performance of a Lifetime. And her book, Performance Breakthrough, A Radical Approach to Success at Work, is on sale everywhere that you normally would buy your own book. So go and, go and definitely check out her book. She's a great soul. Now, I've got to be honest, there's a little problem with the audio. I'm not quite sure what happened here, but it may come across a little bit weird. It's it's basically the technical term, I think, is that it's it's not mono, it's stereo. So 
I apologize if, if it's kind of like left and right and you're not quite sure what's going on there. But I listened to it and it actually came across fine and my speakers. So let me know if that didn't work out. Last but not least, if you enjoy what you listen, make sure to subscribe to the show and share it with a friend who hasn't heard this show. I know that a lot of you have been reaching out and letting me know that you've been sharing it. So I appreciate you for that. Okay, enough about this whole introduction, but I was just very excited to let you know we're in December 2. I give you the one and only Kathy Salit. Kathy Salit, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mark. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to speak with you today for multiple reasons, for total selfish reasons, and also for <laughs> reasons that I hope the listeners will enjoy. But I was looking through your profile, and one thing I really appreciated about you is that you've managed to somehow bridge the world of performance and leadership. Yes, true yeah. enough. Yeah. Two, two very different worlds. I, I know, right? And before I get into that, because I always get excited, I always love hearing the um, background story. Like James Adelcher talks about the, uh, the origin story, you know, of superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think guests are always super curious to hear about how people got started. Uh, and maybe I'll take you back to when you were 13 years old and you decided to drop out of eighth grade and you started an alternative mm. school in a abandoned mm. storefront in New York City. <laughs> indeed, yeah, indeed. Tell, tell yeah. About, yeah, tell me about uh, that. Well, you know, Mark, I hated school, uh, even though I had actually loved it when I was in, and I know that there's different terms for the different, you know, periods of school that in America than there is in the sure. UK and elsewhere. But this was, uh, I, had, I had loved elementary school, which perhaps is primary school, um, and, uh, but then I switched schools, uh, to go into, uh, junior high or middle school. And, um, it was, it, it was, I didn't like it. It was mm. very, um, authoritarian. Uh, right. the curriculum that they presented to us was, I thought sort of outdated Rigid. and irrelevant. Mm. And this, by the way, I'm, um, you know, just so you know, the age of the person <laughs> talking to <laughs> roughly, this is the late sixties. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, there was just a lot of social ferment, the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, and I was very young, but mm. nonetheless, I was caught up in it, and I very influenced by it, and and so I just I was sort of interested in looking for something that was more connected to what was going on all around me and us, and mm. and um the you know, and then you just had this sort of usual stuff that goes on at school, which is that you have the cliques and the popular people, and and I wasn't popular yet, and anyway, so I was just really not happy, and. I um I used to come home from school every day uh, to talk to my mom, um, and I was pretty upset. And she was always amazingly supportive, and um and I got into trouble a lot, including sort of the the apocryphal moment, uh, at least at least that I can remember, <laughs> was um I got into a a fight with my teacher, who wouldn't let Peter Winston, who was one of my classmates, <laughs> go to the bathroom. Uh, yeah. and so I stood up and I said, you need to let him go to the bathroom. And, uh, we got into an argument and I was sent to the principal's office for the umpteenth time and then sent home. And, uh, my mom was home when I got home and, um, we talked and she said to me, uh, you know what? Um, I think, I think we're done. <laughs> I think that you should quit school and I think you should start your own. And run for office. <laughs> <laughs> right, run for president. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I said, you know, I was 12. Um, and I said, you know, mommy, I'm 12. And she said, yes, I know, I'm your mother. I know exactly how old you are. Um, she said, uh, I will help you. If you want to do this, I will wow. help you. Um, and then she asked me whether there were other kids who felt similarly. And I said, yes. And she said, well, why don't you, you know, basically recruit them to drop out of school also and uh, see if they want to get involved. Yeah. And so, and so I, and we did, and, um, you know, it was really quite an experience, uh, 
to to do something so on the one hand it was was very radical you know and very different on the other hand as i said there was all this social movement going on and people were questioning a lot of the sort of traditional ways of doing things whether it was politics whether it was um you know psychology whether it was education whether it was personal relationships and so on and um and so yeah so we uh, as you said we we took over an abandoned storefront it was i was actually it's squatting meaning it was illegal we broke the law uh, and we in order to sort of the way you did things you know the way you took over abandoned buildings back then was that if you could survive the 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 overnight without either the police coming or other people trying to take over the sure. space yeah. uh, you got the space and so that's what we did and there was about 30 of us and, so wait a minute um, wait a minute sorry i've got to, i've got to stop you there 30 there was 30 so you managed to convince 30 people at 30 we managed to convince um, about 20 kids, 22 kids, and then <laughs> other other like alternative radical educators yeah. and um, and supportive parents and community volunteers, um, and uh, yeah, and it was all ages, and it was a it was a it was there were no grades in the school. We developed our own curriculum. Uh, at the same time that we also figured out the toilet cleaning schedule and um, <laughs> hired and fired teachers. I mean, with you know, we paid them nothing, hardly. Yeah. Uh, it was such an wow. amazing experience, Mark. Because, and I and it, and it, and I mean, I love talking about it because it's interesting and it's it has you know. It, but it also, I do think that it is a little bit of the origin story for mm. what I'm doing now, in the sense that. I never, I never went back to uh, traditional school. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I am a junior high school dropout. Uh, I, I ended up, in some sense, um, you know, designing my own education. Um, and a lot of what I, what I found myself involved in and was interested in was, was alternative education. So I did a lot of sort of, you know, my own study and finding institutes and places that were doing things that were out of the box in that mm -hmm. way. And then I also, I had been, you know, as a young person, I had been, a, a, I was talented as a performer, as a singer, as a, yeah. as an actor. And I, then I, got, I also got involved in the arts. Um, anyway, I, I won't answer everything right now. I'll let you ask some questions. <laughs> no, no, no. This, this is, this is amazing. I mean, it's, you know, this is called the unconventionalist podcast and your home here. <laughs> you know, it's like someone, anyone who quits. Hey, who quit, I do feel yeah, anyone that leaves at thirteen and starts <laughs> their own school in a in a squat abandoned storefront in New York is so welcomed here. Um, yeah, so so this is like back when you were thirteen, and so this is about five years ago, and um, yes, exactly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so and so since then you've co-founded an organization um, which is called Performance of a Lifetime. And you get to work with some really cool clients. I mean, your list of clients is very impressive by Thank any you. means. Um, when someone asks you, what do you do? What do you say? Well, it depends who I'm talking to, of mm. course, because everything is context. Uh, but I, I say that I, um, I'm the CEO of a company called Performance of a Lifetime. And what we do is we, we use theater and performance and improvisation combined with breakthroughs in a relatively new field in psychology called performative psychology mm -hmm. to help leaders and help organizations to go from where they are now to their new desired future. Mm -hmm. uh, so whatever the status quo is to their to a new new reality. And that ranges from everything from helping leaders to to grow uh, in new ways, changing culture, uh, executing on a strategy uh, that a that a business wants to take on, and so forth. Mm. And when when did you get the, um, the I want to say the the click the click moment? I don't know if that's the because I know I know that you you know that you perform, and um, I know that it, that you're part of a, a, a musical improv comedy troupe, the Proverbial Loons. I don't know if yes. that correctly. I don't know <laughs> you if I did. Have yeah. You did. So when did you start going like, hey, there's this thing that I really love, which is like performance, right? And I, I want to talk a bit more about that in a, in, a, in a minute. But there's something about, there's this performance. And that, hey, I'm noticing that there's a business. Well, like, or like that there's people out there who could use this in a completely different way. When, how did that happen? I mean, where did the conversation start? Well, 
Uh, there probably were a couple of key moments. Uh, one is I actually attended a workshop. This was in the mid-90s. Uh, with someone that I that I actually ended up co-founding Performance of a Lifetime with, uh, who was a playwright, a director, and a um, psychotherapist, and um, another colleague who was also one of the co-founders, a, a Broadway uh, actor and director. Uh, his name is David Nackman, and uh, the other guy was also a he's also a philosopher, Fred Newman, and they put on a workshop called. Uh, the performance of a lifetime, and I went to it. Some, I didn't. I had sort of heard a little bit because I knew them both, and I was like, I knew, you know, I was like, I knew there was something, you know, fun and interesting, and some sort of right. surprise. Anyway, they had, they designed this session where there were 150 of us uh, in the, at, who had, you know, signed up for this weekend sort of retreat, and uh, and the exercise that they had us do was they had each and every person, every one of us get up on stage and perform. And they, we were instructed to perform our lives mm. in, in 60 seconds wow. in, in one minute. Yeah. And Mark, it was like mind blowing. And I, you know, I mean, I had been involved in, you know, experimental theater and, and I'd been involved sure. in therapy and I was all, you know, I thought I had sort of like seen and done it all. Yeah. <laughs> But this was unbelievable because person after person got up there and performed their life and they and it was so varied what they did. And and by the way, what it means to perform your life, this exercise, by the way, has now become our signature exercise. Mm. But what it means to perform you don't get up is this there. Is the becoming say, principle? It is it definitely has fed and okay. informed the becoming yeah. principle. But the um this you get up there and you you can't say you know hi I'm Kathy Salen I grew up in New York City <laughs> yeah. you know if you're going to get up there and say something a narrative like that yeah. then what we're we, we're looking for something like hello my name is Kathy Rose you know do it as an opera <laughs> you know or like or 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 and so people did these very varied performances that were everything from you know uh, sort of. A, a pivotal moment, like some something that it really, really was a big turning point for them in their life that perhaps was painful and difficult to, to you know, getting married to or you know proposing to someone to getting evicted to you know getting their first job to to like literally like you know we had people like climb under the chairs and start crying like a baby and then end up you know to where they are now where they're you know I don't know what they're they're a lawyer sure. in the courtroom so yeah, yeah. so. And then, then David and Fred would give each of us some performance direction, some theatrical direction, with the eye of an improvisational director, where you're right. building on and you're 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 creating with what you're inspired by what you saw, and we'd perform a sequel with professional other professional improvisers would come into the scene with us. Anyway, it was really one of these mind-blowing yeah. experiences, and people. People were saying things, including myself, saying like, "This is like I've gotten more help, and I feel better than, than, than twenty years of therapy." Years. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So afterwards, I spoke to Fred and David, um, not not at their invitation to make this offer, but I said, "This <laughs> is a business. Yeah. We should start a business, and I want to be involved." <laughs> and surprisingly, they said yeah. yes. Yeah. And um, and so we started off as a school, a sort of quote school, sure. um, sort of continuing Ready my lineage of alternative kind of schools, yeah. um, for just you know regular people, but but who are not professional performers to to use the power and the joy of performance mm -hmm. to help them in their own, you know, to help them to grow and to do things in a new way and to break out and experiment, and ultimately after a couple of years, uh, even though it was really excellent work, I mean we. We didn't have any marketing dollars, and and this is this is the mid 1990s mark. So, did you, know, sorry, 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 did you know a guy yeah. called Sam House? Does the does the name Sam House ring a bell? By any chance? That's the last name? Yeah, I think it's called Sam House. Yeah, his, his house is, is is no, sorry, um, Henry Henry House. Henry, I don't think no? so. Okay, never mind. He, he was in New York, and about about the same time, he did a lot of stuff around using acting as a tool for personal development. So I was just wondering oh, if maybe you I think knew. I know him. That's yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll send you his details. I'll send you like okay, some weeks after. Okay, that would be stuff. great. Yeah, so, so sorry. We, yeah, you were we saying. Ended up, we ended up, 
you know, we couldn't pay the rent. We had like a lot of very devoted sort of clientele, but we didn't have any marketing dollars. And we started like offering classes and tap dancing and, 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 and actually renting the space out to, we later discovered to um, photographers who were running a pornography. <laughs> <laughs> a little porn operation, so we had to stop that. <laughs> anyway, and then one day, one of our my students, one of my improv students, um, asked me if I would come and do some version of that exercise that I was just describing, because um, we had a whole program that we designed around it that included, over the course of four weeks, we created an improvisational play using the raw material from those one-minute performances mm. that then people put up you know, at the end of the four weeks. It was really magnificent. Any event, uh, she said, I want you to come in. She was a senior vice president at a financial services company. Um, and I, she said, I'm having trouble with my team and I think this could help. And my mm. response was no fucking way. <laughs> I'm, not there. I'm not doing that. Sure. I've never been in a corporate yeah, environment. Yeah, yeah. This is never going to work. This sure. stuff is too weird. You guys are too stuffed up. It's just, it's just no way. Yeah, yeah, forget it. And she mm. hounded me. She hounded me. And, and then she finally reached me on the phone and said that she would pay $1,500 for a half day. And I like, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, that was like the most money. I, I was like, yes. I'm like, <laughs> I'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Sure. So we, so we did. And that was it, right? Yeah. I mean, so we it, did. And it was like, wow, maybe we can make a business out of this. And, and so we changed the whole business model. Yeah. So again, you know, like some of the clients that you've got, you know, you worked with Twitter, American Express, Nike, Coca-Cola, Rolls-Royce, just to, just to name a few. Um, you believe that everyone has the capacity to perform. Yes. Tell me more about that. Well, you know, if you think about what we did as kids and what we see that children do is what, what you know, they play, mm -hmm. they pretend, they perform, they improvise. And um, this is something that's in our DNA. And uh, it's something that unfortunately gets uh, destroyed in us, um, not totally happily, mm -hmm. but I mean, Sir Ken Robinson talks about this a lot. And I love his book, The Element. What a, what a, what Love a gem. his work. Yeah. What a, you know, and what he's saying is, you know, we, we, we're born curious. We're born playful. Mm. We're, we're born inquisitive. And it basically the school systems kill that in us. Mm. And they kill our creativity. And um, so he's working on this and trying to change that, you know, at the school age level. And I'm working on, you know, supporting that by saying we need mm. to tap to that. Yeah that we have and this 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 thing that is actually what makes it possible for us to learn what makes it possible for us to change um, it to to grow and to develop and to kickstart that again so that people can um, you, we, we, we sort of get to a certain point in our lives and we sort of like this is who I am you know and and also right. there's all the psychological testing if you work in in the business you know uh, context you get psychological tests you get given numbers and letters that are assigned to your personality type and so on and so forth and then it's sort of like and now you have to navigate the world given who you are and more and more what 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 psychologists and researchers are are seeing and our work certainly contributes to this body of research is that we're not just who we are uh, we're who we are and who we are not yet. You know, if you think mm. about, you know, like, what do we do with little kids? Back to little kids. A little baby, you know, makes sounds and says, right? And what we say, the big people, you know, say is, oh, okay, sweetie pie, let me go get you your cookie. And, you know, and then they go, well, you're welcome, right? You know, and we have like these, you know, it's like, oh, the kid is not saying anything resembling what, they, you know, what we're responding to. But, but we relate to them as language speakers before they are, um, mm. because because we know they will become yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, but it's not just coincidental. It's actually the case that those conversations is what brings the child into the language speaking community. It literally is what it's like. We we relate to them as who they are, and as who they are not yet at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and so that that kind of um, engagement, that kind of interaction, we we can continue to do that 
in adulthood, not in the same way, we don't babble in that way, but what, what, what the, what's been discovered and we've been part of that is that if you use theater, if you get people to perform in ways that are, quote, not them, it actually kickstarts that yeah. same kind of development yeah. and growth. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it so does because it, it enables you to tap and access a completely different uh, part, I guess, of your brain or your, your intuition, your body, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's funny because it reminds me of the study that they did with uh, a bunch of uh, rats, and they basically took two group studies. They both gave them uh, rats, and they told one group that they had the super intelligent smart rats, and they told the other group that they had the really uh, dumb rats. <laughs> and uh-huh. in, when in reality they both had the exact same uh, rats but they, they, this group did not know this the study groups did not know this and then they told them that they had to race and compete in this maze or whatever and the rats who were amongst the group of people who thought they had really special super brainy rats did I don't know how much better but they did much better than the other rats systematically and that's yeah. apparently because of the way that they were handling them and the way they were mm. talking to them Mm. right so like they were like how interesting yeah they're yeah. like holding them really carefully and they're like you know go for it come on encouraging them while the other one's kind of like why is that anyway he's never going to get this you know <laughs> yeah yes, so there's yes. something around like holding holding the people bigger and greater than they hold themselves and they will grow into that it's kind of like the more the big the bigger the the suit the more the person can grow in it if that um, i don't know if that yeah. makes a, a logical analogy but well totally um, i mean and this and this is i think you know, you see this in in, in Robinson's uh, work, and also, I mean, here in America, you know, we have a really significant public education crisis. Public education for mm-hmm. us is, I, is is I think what you call private. Um, Sorry, so just a second. So, so public, um, and I think if it's, so I'm just gonna just could, I'd love to compare notes with you. So public school in England is private schools. So that means that if you if you go if it's a public school, I mean that you pay for it. And in France, a public school means it's a state school. That means it's free. Yes. So I'm talking about the free the free yeah, schools. Good. Okay, yes. Cool. Exactly. Thank you for that. Um, and the and you know mainly for most of these schools which are, who are, that are in poor communities. Uh, and the in, and, and in the inner cities, but also in the rural areas, mm-hmm. the kids are related to you know these are like low performing schools. It's the very same story except it's human beings, not rats. And the kids, part of why why there is the failure that there is is that the children are not related to as learners. Right. They're not related to as if they're going to go anywhere, and so they mm. they don't. <laughs> Yeah. You know, but the whole education system relates to them like they're they're failures, they're fuck ups, they're mm. losers. Mm. And what do you know? It turns out that they can't get anywhere because no one has supported them to and given them hope and related to them. You are going you're smart. You're going to get somewhere and I'm going to help you. And it has a huge impact on on what what is possible. Right. So, yeah. 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 A hundred percent. And, you know, so I'm. Um, I often think about what the audience is thinking or listening to, and some of the people say, "Like, well, yeah, okay, I get what you're saying, but I'm not creative. You know, I'm not, I'm not an actor. I'm not a performer. What do you want to tell to those people?" You're wrong. <laughs> 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 I mean, I get it. I understand, but. Um, but you don't have to be a professional actor or a professional improviser or have or even have a desire to do that because. Um, you know, if you think about it, we all play different roles depending on so the circumstances. True. We have different versions of ourselves, right? So, so we're, you know, we're one way when we're, you know, in a yoga class or, you know, whatever. We, we have a particular kind of performance. We have a particular kind of performance if we're delivering a eulogy mm. for a loved one. We have a particular kind of performance when we're sitting in a meeting with our team or or we're doing a you know having a conversation with our boss or whatever mm. these are all different different roles and different scripts and different ways that we that we we sit we walk we talk now obviously there's similarities but we have this ability to morph and to be many many different ways you know there's this a uh, wonderful quote by Whitman that I that I refer to um, in my book and, and, and in my talks, which is he says something like, do I contain contradictions? Indeed, I do. I am large. I have multitudes. And so all that we're doing by performing 
it's A, recognizing that when you're in these different scenes, these different situations, that is a kind of a performance, right? right? You may, it may not be conscious, but it is a performance. At some point, at some point in your life, it was conscious. And then it becomes sort of natural. And then you feel like, oh, this is just what I do. Mm. But somewhere along the line, you improvised it. And so really, when I'm saying that we are all performers, I want to help people to see that we can continue to improvise slash experiment slash perform so that we can expand who we are. We can mm. we can continue to grow and make more deliberate choices. You know, so you have all kinds of situ like I'm thinking of this 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 woman I was uh, I was just doing some work with mm-hmm. this woman uh, who is a she's she's you know a real what's called high potential you know her career is going well uh, and she's fabulous in um, in the more sort of formal structured situations at work but one of the things that she's been told is you know you need to perform as a leader all of the time not just you know <laughs> you, you have to up your game and so so we've been talking about like well what are the scenes in her life and and work and we've discovered that when she is sort of walking down the hall when she's actually on her way to work when you run into people from work she's like totally nose down you know her mm. you know earbuds in her ear she's just like i'm not i'm not on stage yet right well it turns out that you you are on stage and so there's a different kind of performance that you need to do, which is the one that you actually do when you're, when you're quote, in the formal situations when you're on stage. So that's not being inauthentic. That's just saying, oh, let me draw on that. And so one of the things that's happening is that she's, like, looking up, having yeah. conversations. Sure. Engaging get, with the world. Get, get, engaging with the world. Yeah. And it's making a big difference because now she's actually building some connections and some relationships that she wasn't doing, for example. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me, you've probably heard this uh, before, but there's something I often talk about. And this is, there's a group I'm, I'm facilitating with a wonderful other co-facilitator called Sophie Miller, a group of 38 people at this organization called Escape the City. And we did a workshop with them on Tuesday around creativity. And it's so funny, like as soon as we started the session, I said, we, we told them today we're going to do creativity. And you could have just tasted the tension in the room ah. just like you know bum started squeezing and um <laughs> and i and i just went relax people this is gonna be fun and kind of and we did this exercise we did a, like a kind of a uh, scale you know in the room like one to ten being one side of the room the other position yourself according to where you consider yourself being a creative or not and it was just fascinating to see like we had a bunch totally non-creative a bunch creative and then i'd say 80 percent, 90 percent were in the middle so we went took them through all these exercises and and one thing I explained to them to, to sort of, and tell me if this, if this relates to what you're, you're saying, is that as kids, we have a huge piano, a range of piano that we play on, right? So it's like when we cry, we cry, when we're, when we're happy, we laugh, when we want something, we scream, you know, we're like full range of emotion, full range of fully owning our, our, ourselves. And then as life goes by, you know, society, education, uh, relationships, uh, school, whatever you want to call it, starts reducing that piano to where we end up playing this really small part on this piano. And some of the work that um, I focus on and some of the work that we focus on is around stretching that range, getting people to play back on those high notes on the, you know, I think it's on the right, and the <laughs> deeper notes on the left. And that kind of reminds me of what you're saying around like actually showing people that, hey, the way that you're interacting the world, there's this whole other way of doing it. I love that metaphor. Hmm. I love that metaphor. And I... I don't even, I may have heard that before, but if I, I, I may not have. And so I'm going to steal it from you. Um, <laughs> Do it. That's I, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it's a wonderful, yeah. it's a wonderful visual. And it lands, and think, you know, it really lands yeah, for people who are not yeah. used to, because I think, and, and I'm going to put myself in, in the same kind of category as you, is that, so I grew up at, and I was in school, I hated it, same thing. I was dyslexic, I, I, I was hyperactive, and probably had I been born 10 years later, I would have been severely medicated. Um, yeah, and so you got a break there. Yeah, 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 totally right. And so um, the, the problem is that most people are very much in their heads, and I'd love to hear a bit more about what you think about that, especially when you go into corporate, right? When you go into like organizations, you're dealing with people who do not consider themselves as creative beings. Uh, that's an assumption I'm making, right? Um, what is it that you've what was it that you've noticed and that maybe surprised you most since you started this work working with organizations and teams well relative to to creativity um what i've noticed is that if you give people and you've probably had this experience too but 
If you give people a chance and a, and a space, and let's call it a safe space, which because I do think that's important, sure. where they can sort of you know move to other you know to the right and the left side of the of the keyboard, <laughs> uh, then what they feel free to do and what they discover slash create is is a part of themselves that that is creative that is different mm. that that does break from the mold um is it like a huge break not initially uh but but you know for example when we do that that one minute performance of a lifetime and this is something that we do a lot uh as a way to work on leadership to work on this idea of doing things that feel impossible and then having the experience of, mm. oh my goodness, this is, this is possible. Um, and, to, and to be able to take that kind of look before you, I'm sorry, leap before you look uh, posture and survive right. it. Um, what I find is that, you know, people are willing to do that 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 even though they're frightened, um, they they do take that leap, and and that there is an enormous amount of support that then people are able to give each other, and this is actually like a big part of the I don't know if you have this experience, but this is a very big part of the the training, if you will, or the development work that we do is the role of the group, the role of the ensemble, mm, the creating the of an ensemble, the entity, yes. And that that, you know, so we, we put a lot of emphasis on applause, you know, hmm. and sort of like, if you're going to ask someone to do something that's really, really hard, you better be there for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you better <laughs> you know? be on the other and side, yeah. You've got, yeah, and so, exactly, exactly. And so I think people are sort of amazed at, wow, I've really never been applauded at before. I mean, I'm, I'm of the position that, you know, you should get applauded just for showing up to work every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, Can you imagine? That would be amazing every time. Tommy, welcome, welcome. Hi, hi Tommy. Good to welcome. see you. Oh, my God, you're here again. Thank you for coming hey, back. Hey, Natasha, welcome, yep. welcome. Everybody's <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think that we don't appreciate each other right. enough. We don't give expression to that. And That's so... Right. I, I mean, at this point in my, you know, in my career, I feel like I'm not so much surprised anymore, but mm. more delighted. Mm. And, and I feel, and people are very appreciative of the chance to, to experiment, you know, to be creative. And by the way, just a little side note on the creativity thing. One of my chapters in the, in my book, um, is called creating with crap. And, um, and I really believe in that. And I believe that creativity is also not just reserved for, you know, sort of painting and, and, right. and theater and music um, or like or design or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I actually think that creativity lives in resides in how human beings can interact with each other and how we can that that's where we mm. need to apply our creativity. And that includes the crappy stuff, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because my Lord, I mean, it would be it's is better than just only being demoralized or thrown off, you know, guard or depressed or angry in the face of crap. Let's see if we can be creative with it. Yeah, th yeah. there's um, I don't know. I think it's once a year they uh, come together around the world as a community to write their first book or write a book it's like in 30 days and it's called like write your first shitty draft oh and, i love that yeah and it's all that concept of basically don't you know, like don't judge just just create just write just write yeah and, and i think it's iris glass um i probably mispronounced his name the uh, one of the founding and the host of this american life the podcast yes, yes, yeah. yeah i love he has a saying around um, the difference between our tastes and our skills is often what gets in the way of us getting started to create because we have this idea of what we want it to look like, but we're not quite there yet. So we make that wrong and we never take the leap. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and so you, you've done a lot of improv, improv comedy. I have. Yeah. And I would love to hear a bit more about how people can uh, actually learn from that. And there was one thing that was passed on to me from one of my um, teachers, Dory ben Shanoch. Who, 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 who used to struggle with performing and live and he went to do improv comedy and, and a teacher told him everything's an offer and he taught everything's us everything's an offer yeah. yes and, and yeah. so tell us a bit more because I know you did um, a video on Inc around why good listeners get what they want and you, you mm -hmm. talked about follow the followers but tell us a bit more about how does improv comedy or, or how is improv comedy relevant 
to anyone um, doing doing either they're running their own business or working in a company? What can they learn from it? Big question. What a great question! My goodness, this is like my favorite question. I've, <laughs> I've loved all the ones before, but this is a, this is just <laughs> up there. So thank you. Uh, but I mean, it's so well framed. So. Um, but uh, yeah, everything is an offer. So yeah, that's the that's the thing at improv. So somebody comes into a scene, you know, and and uh, you know, quacking like a duck. That's an offer that you, as a as a partner in the scene, mm. get to get to build with. And so you could be the farmer. You could be you know another duck. You could be the bull. You could be a little steaming pile of you know poop. Uh, that that is the ducks. You could be the you know so on and so forth. There's so it's it's, it's this it's this plethora of offers that is presented to you, and your job as an improviser is to say yes to it and to build with it, to create something with it, to say yes and then and, which is a core mm. principle. Yes and so of true. improvisation, and so we teach some of these basic both principles and also skills to business people because the same the same hearing of offers and accepting of offers that produces hilarity and brilliance on the stage in improv comedy um, where like you know when you watch it and you think oh these guys had to have like planned before because they you know they, it's just so seamless it's so mm-hmm. perfect they really seem to like but they didn't. They're making it up, and and they're making it up because they're able to hear and and build with the offers. Mm. So when you take that same kind of idea and skills and you bring it into the business world, you you actually start to hear offers that you would totally have missed because you've been in there, you've been in this conversation just with your agenda, yeah. Right. Uh, or you're like, maybe you don't have an agenda, but you just have like, yeah, I've heard it all before. I've been there, done that, you know, and you just, you don't, you don't like relate to it as, or you, you have, you relate to listening as transactional. Right. And so it's I, my turn. I, I'm waiting for yeah. my turn to speak. So yeah. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. As opposed to an improvisational dance. Uh, one of my, one of my favorite lesser known authors is, a, and, and he's a, he's now a friend, a guy named Stephen Nachmanovich, who was an improvisational violinist. He wrote a book called Free Play back in the 90s. And, you know, what he says is every conversation is a form of jazz. And, and um, you know, and that the words, the words are there, they're, they're like, part of what you know we have available to us but but what has been said has never been said before or has the potential to have never been said before we we together are creating it and and so whether you're in sales whether you're you know trying to influence people whether you're uh you're doing brainstorming you know whether you're working to deal with a difficult conversation a difficult situation mm. if we can hear offers from one another mm. and figure out what can i say yes to what right. can i build with even if i disagree in fact especially if i disagree what can I build with? What can? How can I co-create so that we can move forward in some way? And 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 it's just super powerful. And and it's a, and it's you got to work at it because it's not easy. We have our quote natural like you know reactions, but but that's where performance comes in. Where we're doing something that doesn't feel natural. That doesn't that that might even feel you know fake. Don't worry about it because you're you're experimenting, you're playing, you're mm. you're, you're, you're 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 discovering some new possibilities by doing that. Yeah, no, I love that, and um, I'm looking at the time and thinking, oh god, I've got so many more questions that I want to go through. <laughs> All right, let's stuff them in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I love that, and it, it, it it's you know it's it's so needed, especially. So I spent ten years across the corporate, not for profit, and charity world, and I've just seen this across any different organizations that. There's just a real need for healing for teams that's needed, and uh, I have I have the great chance of that my partner's um, works in this, and she does a lot of team alignment, um, mediation, t- uh, sort of detox for teams, and all that kind of stuff. And so she she does this really deep work and transformational work for teams. And so what I love about what you're saying is that like there's also this other tool that you can play with, which is performance, and that naturally we're just all great performance we just need to reconnect to that um if you had to look at a team right that you went into either you or your colleagues or your um 
your your people uh, what would you say would be the the easiest transformation to describe what you what they're going through so like let's say you go in there they're kind of like oh they're not really getting along or you know they're not really confused about where they're going and stuff like that what would be the magic one that you say that happens when when you enter that room and when you leave for a team that's having struggle that's struggling in some way well, i mean probably not i mean just let, let's say nike gives you a call and they're like hey no nike sorry in in the u.s yeah um, and they're like, hey, Kathy, can you come in? We've got this, this team of, we've got this, our leadership team is meeting up at the summit in Portland and we'd love for you to come and do a session. Um, what do you notice happens, I guess, at the end? That's, it was a really crappy question that I just asked you. So let me reframe that. What, what do you guess, what, what happens at the end of, of your work with them and when they do the, you know, the becoming principal, or when they, they work with you, what happens at the end? How do they feel? What's different? You know, it, this may sound sort of corny, but, you know, what can I say? Um, <laughs> a lot of what people say to us and what teams are able to do is, as a result of working together, is they they learn about what it means to have each other's back. Mm. Now, you know, there's a lot of competition in these environments, and that's, you know, there's, there's really nothing you can do about it. And some might even argue, I wouldn't particularly, but some might argue that you need that in order to, you know, sort of propel forward. Um, so I'm not trying to stop the competition, but I'm trying to help people to add, mm. add some other elements. And so a lot what people say as a result of our working with them is that they feel they both have a, a, um, an awareness of and a desire for having each other's back and for being and and they have some new tools to support each other that yes and thing that i was just talking about this hearing offers is an example mm. you know so rather than just be going down the rat hole of you know disagreement or whatever that the yet you know a yes but way of talking there's like well how can i build and support what you know Jocelyn is saying, and 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 let's let's look at you know a disagreement that's going on between uh, you know Robert and and Natasha, sure. and let's see if we can do that, see that as a scene, and mm. let's just try another way of of playing that scene, <laughs> and and because we will have done that kind of thing uh, in the course of our work together, so. Take each other's point of view for, for, for five minutes and let's yeah. see that, what that. And so part of what that gives people is the A, the recognition, oh, I could do another performance. B, I can understand other people's point of view because now mm. you've actually, through performing, you've put yourself in another person's shoes. Um, and that there's a, a, a um, an interest in a desire to take care of the ensemble in addition to doing whatever your job is. This is right. now, that's the new thing I would say yeah. that, that people walk away with, especially when we're doing work with an intact team. Yeah. No, does that make sense? Yeah, 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 no, it does. Absolutely. And, and again, I think it's what you were kind of um, pointing to at the, right at the start of the interview around performative psychology, you know, the new science of performative psychology and how it just shifts perspectives and, and, uh -huh, and enables uh -huh. people to access and tap into Oh yeah, I get it now. You know, because mm -hmm. I think it's something also visual, right? Because as as humans, we love stories. We just thrive as, as storytellers. So maybe when it unfolds in front of us, we can actually see it from a different perspective. So it makes total sense. Yeah, um, I want to talk about your book. So you wrote a book, Performance Breakthrough: A Radical Approach to Success at Work. Hachette Books. Hachette in French. I don't know how you pronounce it in English. That's it. That's yeah, it. It's on sale everywhere, where people basically can buy books. Um, and I just wanted to share like the opening quote, one of the opening quotes that you have in your book, which I loved, which was. If you hear a voice within you say, you cannot paint, then by all means, paint. And that voice will be silence. Vincent van Gogh. Hmm. Yeah. How, yeah. What was the experience of you of, of writing this book and now seeing this, world, this book putting out in the world? Well, you know, I had a voice that said, you cannot write, <laughs> then by all means, write. And <laughs> So I was like, well, this is the perfect quote for me since sure. I don't know how to be an author. <laughs> um, oh, it's really, it's been quite a ride. I, I, I love it. I, I mean, it was very hard to mm. write the book because I was really, um, I mean, I was, I had been uh, featured in a chapter in a book and actually not just one chapter, but in a book uh, throughout the book by Dan Pink, 
Um, yeah, he, the, he wrote this book to sell as human. Sell as human, yeah, 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 which is a really cool book. And he, he and I had met and done some work together, and he was very taken with our approach, and so he incorporated it into you know sort of his ideas. And anyway, so as a result of having been in his book, I got approached by a number of different literary agents who said to me, you know, are you writing a book? And and I was. Um, uh, uh, yes, I am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I am. Oh. <laughs> uh, and so I was like, oh. And, and then the challenge was, is there a way our work, you know, as you were just describing before, in terms of sort of feeding back to me what you were hearing, our work is very experiential like you really you really have to be in the room you know mm. and so you know and people go through something and and so how are we going to be able to sort of could we create an experience for the reader that that you know couldn't wouldn't absolutely replicate that but could be helpful and could be developmental and mm. could also give people you know empower people and excite people to do things that were outside of their comfort zone in this right. way yeah. and so that was like the challenge for me in the book and I'm told I hope this is the case that we <laughs> succeeded but that was but that was the challenge um and um and also the other thing is that that was I, I sort of knew this intellectually, but but you know how these things are. You, until you're sure. actually doing it, you don't really. But I we we made I made and we made discoveries about what we were doing and why it was working uh, by my having to write it, my being yeah. forced to have to write sure. it down and talk about it and write about it for more than you know two paragraphs. <laughs> Yeah, because you got to tease it out. You got to yeah, break it yeah. down. You got to streamline it. Yeah, yeah totally. And we we consider what was it that made you know? So we did a lot. We did work over many years, um, uh, over a couple years, with a grouping of oncology nurses at Johns Hopkins Hospital, which is sure. sort of one of the biggest teaching hospitals in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually. You know, I'm actually giving this as a as an incorrect example because I'm writing a chapter for another book uh, about that work. I didn't I didn't go into a lot of detail mm-hmm. about that in this book, but but it's the same kind of thing in that um, you're discovering and rethinking. Oh, what created that change, and what did that person say, and 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 why did that matter to everybody else? You know what I mean? So it's just it was just sure. great, and then and then it's you know being on the road and and talking to people about the book. I mean, we're we're getting a lot of positive you know press and and feedback, and so it's fun. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I really I really hope that people go over and and get your book. Um, you know, it's available on all the all the usual bookstores, Amazon, and so forth. Um, yes. Yeah, and and it's I just you know congratulations for for getting your book out there. You know, I I published a book in 2014, and I remember at the book launch, kind of saying, uh, you know, had you told me everything that I have to go through to get this out, I probably would have never done it. Uh, and yet, isn't that what it's like for anything that's worth doing? Um, yeah. What is your book called? It's called It's Not You, It's Me. Um, it was basically. A, it's it spun off as a blog post that I wrote in 2011 when I was looking to escape, you know, the, the, the nine to five and the corporate world to go and do something more meaningful. I realized that as I was going through these different job interviews outside, picking up my phone calls, I was acting like if I was cheating on my job, you know, I was like, like kind of running out of the, running out the office, kind of picking up phone calls, pretending like it was someone else, showing up really well dressed at work and be like, why are you dressed up in a suit? I'd be like, oh, I lost a bet with a friend because I was going to a job interview, taking days off to go to Paris to go for job interviews. And I, t- I wrote this blog post a bit as a joke. I said, welcome to corporate adultery. And... <laughs> Yeah, and it just got it got a really great response, and from there I just decided to to write a book that compared basically um, your job with relationships, and if and if you were in a, in a toxic or or abusive or relationship, my wish for you is that you'd find a way to leave it, um, even though it can take up to thirteen times for someone before they leave for good. And so I kind of went with that angle, and and I did this book, and it was you know it wrote in two thousand thirteen, published in two thousand fourteen, and but all, all that to say is that I just want to you know give you a massive um well virtual high five and hats off for for you no know, and and it, and it looks beautiful it's it's really well done i love like some of the points you point out things like you know all the world is a stage like you know you're just always in in in, in this opportunity to perform and, and see what's out there so um 
Yeah, if you're listening to this, go and grab a book. Now, we're coming to the end of the interview. Um, there's one point I didn't have time to say, so I'm just going to say to the listeners, I strongly recommend you go over to performanceofalifetime.com and you check out the latest article that, I don't know if you wrote it or someone else wrote it, wrote it. Um, I think it's the power of performance, the performance of power. Yes, um, yes. What a, yeah, what a story. I mean, when you went over to performing the world, Yes, um, yes. Yeah, and, and you talk about Antanas Mokus, um, which who, who, he was the mayor of Bogota mm-hmm, uh, for a while. Mm-hmm. And I just, all I'm going to say is people go and check it out. It's it's an amazing piece. And what, um, all I'm going to say is he replaced 1,800 corrupt traffic police officers for MIME artists, 420 <laughs> of them. I bet that must have been a little bit interesting of hearing that, right? Oh, totally, totally. It was just captivating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kathy, before we wrap up this interview, um, I just, you know, hand to heart, want to say thank you for the work that you're doing for, for healing teams and for giving people a different way to approach their worlds and for them to be able to be equipped with uh, maybe a new realization that they are creative, they are resourceful, they are natural performers and that it doesn't have to be that so dull, you know, life can be fun <laughs> and the workplace yes, can be fun. Yes. Um, and it's just, I find it fascinating the work that you're doing and, and I wish you a lot of success in, in, and more than that, I hope that you get to impact more and more people through your talks, your book, your workshops and, and your business and your articles and videos on ink, that kind of stuff. So well, thank, thank you. you. Thank yeah. you so much. It's just been such a pleasure to talk with you and I hope maybe we get to meet sometime in person. For uh, sure. And uh, but thank you also to your listeners and um, well, I've got yeah, a, I've got a few really more questions. It. So you, you, you're going to hang in there for two more questions. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah yeah oh, yeah. I'm yeah, here. yeah. I'm here. Sorry sorry yeah, yeah I forgot to say that before I ask you my last questions I just wanted to give you. <laughs> I've got two more. Yeah yeah no two more. Um, one of them is what does being unconventional mean to you? What does the unconventional mean to me? Oh, uh. I just, I have learned history (laughs) over the course of not being in school, Uh, thankfully perhaps not because I wasn't in school, that, that history is something that human beings create. That it's not a dead entity. It's not a, it's not a bunch of facts that about the past, that history is, is something that human beings engage in and create and that that means what it means to create history means mm. to overturn convention and 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 to and that doesn't and sometimes it's violent and sometimes it's not violent but it's to to understand and to relate to things as as not they're not gods they're not that that we have created what there is in the world and I'm, I'm putting religion aside so mm. I'm not want to talk about that but i'm saying if you were, let's assume that is something else for those who feel that mm-hmm. um but for everything else we create what there is we create language we create culture we create products we create conversation we create what is normal and so that means that we've created what is convention and that means that we can continue to create that which means being unconventional mm-hmm. so i think life is an opportunity and is a necessity to live life fully means that you are challenging the status quo you that you challenge assumptions which includes even how we challenge assumptions mm. uh that's what unconventional means to me yeah love it last question um this 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 is <laughs> it sounds like a bit of a dramatic question but actually i love it it's um imagine if um this was your last day and you got to write down on a piece of paper three truths that are truer than true for you that you want to pass on um to the rest of us and the people around you, what would those three truths be? Oh my. Uh, Improvise your life. Um, Is that a truth? Yeah, 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 100%, yeah. Okay, improvise your life. uh question authority but not just the normal authority 
question the authority of, ooh, question the authority of truth. Hmm. Because truth is, uh, there are are wars fought over truth, over quote truth. And um, so I think we can question truth and maybe maybe lean towards honesty. Hmm. Uh, That's two. Uh, You've got one more. Two. Uh, 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 um, uh, and and if this, I'm, go- I'm, I'm going to. I want to do something different. I'm. I'm sorry. What? what, what? No, I was going to say if this may help. It might be like what would you can replace the third one with? Um, what advice would you have given your twenty twenty one year old self? Mm. Uh, don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's in the bag. Well done. <laughs> I love that one. That well, out. that was such a helpful way. Yeah. To, to, all you had to do was say that. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that just flew out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was just like, yeah. <laughs> Kathy, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Um, we'll be linking all the show notes, all the all to your to your websites and Facebook page and book and all that stuff so that will be nice and tied in in the show notes in the meantime i want to say thank you so much for showing up today thank you for your people for reaching out and getting on the show it was an absolute pleasure well ditto ditto uh thank you for having me and um have a wonderful evening there you have it folks i hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as i did if you'd like to show some love to kathy go over on twitter that's at kathy Salit. And you can also find all the show notes over on markgurus.com forward slash podcast. Find Kathy's episode and you'll have everything in there. And I'd love to hear from you. I'm over on Twitter at markgurus. Let me know if you have any questions you'd like me to answer. I'm going to start including some q and I want to make this a little bit more interactive. Until then, I hope you go and get yourself a copy of my book or you download the audio because I know what impact it can have and how it can help you get unstuck and get some clarity on what it is you actually want to do and put out there into the world. Stop being the best kept secret. Share your gift with the world. Remember that you're amazing and it's all about doing the work that makes you come alive. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.